chapter 3 tonight, I've entitled this, A Liquid Faith. Joshua chapter 3, looking at verse 8. Here is Israel, uh, about ready to cross the Jordan River. Faith is stepping into the dangerous waters of the filthy Jordan at the guidance of God and trusting God to do the impossible. In Joshua chapter 3, verse 8. You have your Bibles. It says, And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither, and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Victory is already secured here. Verse 11. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth before you, over before you into Jordan. Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe of man. It shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon an heap. And it came to pass, when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as they that bear the Ark were coming to Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for the Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest. So here, the river is at its highest. Impossible to cover. And yet... Verse 16, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon an heap very far from the city, Adam. And that is beside Zaratan. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of, the Jor- in midst of Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. God had Israel cross the Jordan River as it was at its flood stage. Now faith is relinquishing my rights and privileges to gain a richer reward on the other side of life. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. It's not even doable under any circumstances to live a life apart from faith so for he that cometh to god must believe that he is you have to believe who jesus says he is for salvation and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him it's not just seek him but diligently seek him so unless we're willing to come to hear the word of god abide in his presence we'll never cross the jordan river into the promised land of god's goodness I don't know about you, but the wilderness is not a place I want to live in. I don't like having a dryness of my soul. I don't like that place where in my soul I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, and I'm restless. I don't like to have to constantly wander about, where do I find rest, 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 rest? Where do I find the rest? I don't like always looking forward to the day of God's promises. You know what a lot of people today are just, well, i got to hold on i got to hold on until Jesus comes. I used to think when I was at a Calvinistic church, it was Baptist in name, it wasn't Baptist in doctrine, but it was Baptist in name. And I used to think, man, this Christian life is miserable, and hopefully someday when I get to heaven, as the Bible exclaims, heaven's going to be a whole lot better than this life is. You know, that's a shallow way to look at life. It is painful to continually being, you know, it is painful to continually being unsettled and not able to have a permanent and abiding relationship with the Lord. It's a painful place to be. When I don't know that God is with me in my everyday endeavors. It is laborious. Can you think about this? Every day, the same food day after day. Manna, manna, manna. Now, God did provide. But you know what? I kind of like a little bit greater diet than just manna every day. I mean, I could have manna with dirt. I could have manna with quail. I could have manna and honey. I could have manna and milk. But I still have manna. And God had prepared for us in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10, When thou hast eaten and art full, 
Then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Remember when the twelve spies went in? Land flowing with milk and honey. Grapes in clusters long. I mean, it is abundant. I mean, they have all the vineyards. They have all these residences. I mean, it is literally like uh, coming into a town. Like you go into Winnipeg. Everyone's left Winnipeg. And God says, here you go. Here's the entire city. All the facilities, all the hardware stores, all of your utilities, everything set up for you. It's all yours. And God had it all ready for them. All Israel needed to do was put their feet, the priests put their feet in that water with the Ark of the Covenant, and the promises are just ahead. You know what? Your wilderness and prolonged trials of life may very well be a result of a lack of faith and a rebellion to follow God's word and his leadership. Now, it's going to take each and every one of us to be willing to first, number one, God says, put your feet in the Jordan River. You've got to hear God's words. Number two, you've got to follow the, those whom God has set before you. God gave Israel a leader. He gave him Joshua. Follow him. As Joshua followed Christ. Funny story there. <laughs> so we were talking about that before the service, right? I was talking about the Apostle Paul a little bit before service. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. But there has to be a corporate faith to obtain a corporate blessing and a reward. If you want a corporate blessing of a church, there has to be a corporate obedience. And God is always able to go above that which we're able. But the question, look with me at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. This was actually in August, this was our monthly verse. And it amazed me, at, at that very month, God gave us a tremendous blessing of our church. It was that very month that we got the gift to allow us to do some work on the building. And that was the verse that God had told me I needed to have before we received that gift. I, I was just blown away. I said, man, God, you have divinely ordained this. It was amazing. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Give you a moment to get there, but you know what? It is, the question is, are you willing to let God do the impossible by removing yourself from the, the, the equation? Just simply trust him. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So God's glory, again, God's glory is in the church to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So the blessings and rewards of God come should serve as a reinforcement of the comfort and care of our God. God says, Israel, you have some hard days of battles ahead of you. I mean, you've got to defeat the Canaanites. Wipe them all out. But guess what? I've already defeated them for you. They're already yours. Now you need to go forward and do the work, but I'm already with you. You've already won the battle. To win those battles requires a life of faith. And we'll look back on our lives and watch God do the impossible. I remember when I was graduating, I was finishing up my master's degree, and I had to do a 100-page project. I had a 100-page thesis I had to write. I was having a block. I mean, I could get about 30 pages into this paper, and uh, it's coming into February of the year I was graduating, and I'm thinking, man, I'm supposed to graduate in May. I'm not making much progress on this 30-page paper. And I just kept battling and battling. I'd go down one trail, boom, I'd hit a dead end. I'm like, okay, start all over. I'd write again, start all over. I mean, I just kept, I just kept going down these endless trails, and I said, Lord, I need to get this. I need to graduate. I, I want to move forward. I don't want to be like a whole bunch of these other people. They see the 100-page paper, and they're just like, uh, I'm not doing that, you know, and then they said, well, I guess I won't get the degree. I said, God, you've called me here. I got to get it. And it wasn't until I was there in my daily devotions and I just kept hearing, and, and I, was, I got to Hebrews and God gave me the truths that I needed to finish my paper. I, man, it, God just put it together and it just, I mean, I just started flying on that paper. God put it together and he put, wrote the paper. I mean, I was just like, wow, Lord, you did the impossible. I'm not a writer. I have a lot of thoughts, but, uh, you know, in regards to English grammar, that's not one of my strengths. I like math, I like the science, but the whole grammar and stuff was not one of my strengths. 
but God allowed me to help, and he helped me to finish it up. The truth is, and you know what, for God to even work to get my wife and I here, was God doing the impossible. We need to let the faith in God lead us to the blessings of God. We want the blessings of God without the faith in God. We want to do it ourselves. So tonight I want to talk about let your faith in God lead you to the blessings of God. And we'll talk about that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, we'll commence this study this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. And God, I... Father, I'm not worthy. Father, you've been so good. God, you've done a great work in this church, exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Lord, it doesn't make sense that this church exists and this church church, uh, continues to go. It just doesn't make sense on paper. And God, you've got a purpose. And God, you can use a small amount of people to do mighty things. God, you took 12 disciples. You turned the world upside down. Father, what can you do if we just live by faith? Father, I pray that I would not be that restriction on this church, and I pray each and every one of us, Lord, that none of us that are here, Father, that our faith would waver and restrict us from corporately moving forward reaching souls for Christ, and seeing a church. God, you said you'll build the church, and so, Lord, we just have to walk by faith. There's no program of man that'll build a church that's godly. And so, Father, I pray that we would be faithful. God, I pray that we would get your heart. Lord, that we would see your heart. Lord, to see the blessings. God, you have done so many wonderful things. You've put a roof on it. You've redone the foundation, allowing us to do siding and other things. And God, just over and over and over again, you've provided for this church. It's a miracle of yours. You're a great God. God, help us to put our feet in that Jordan River and to walk in faith. And so, Lord, as I preach your message tonight, guide my words. Jesus, I love you. It's a privilege to be your servant. Help us to take our hands off what you've given to us and to simply let you lead and guide. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. As we look at verse 8 tonight of chapter 3, the first thing I see in this passage of Scripture is the priest's burden. These priests were going to be a part of the impossible. They were to be the ones, the leaders, to bear God's presence to the very shores of the Jordan River and see God divide these waters. Now, what does God require? God requires that his leaders take charge in faith and then ask the congregation of Israel to follow. The truth is, as a pastor of a church, if I can't live by faith, how in the world can I preach that you need to live by faith? It's hard to follow someone that's not living by faith. Joshua had to be first settled in his faith that this was God's direction. He had to be settled, thus saith the Lord. How could Joshua convey God's truths to Israel if it is only what I think God is saying? When I get up and preach, I, my desire of my heart is that I would be saying, thus saith the Lord, not what does Chris say. Not what does the pastor say, what does God say. You don't care what I say, you care what God says. These priests are the leaders, they are the ones to take the steps, and they are the waters, they mount up. Can you imagine walking in, you you put your foot in, you're like, I don't know, Lord. (laughs) This river, do you see that current, Lord? It's not very slow. By the way, God, the Jordan River, it's kind of stinky, kind of dirty. You want me to put my feet in there? You go back to Naaman, right? Naaman, God told Naaman, put, get into the Jordan River, wash seven times, and your flesh will be clean like a little baby. He's thinking, dirty river. I don't want to go in the Jordan River. But Joshua has to be settled. 
I'm going to lead Israel into the promised land. And by the way, the first nation we are going to come against is Jericho, the most fortified, militaristic, battle-ready. It is, I mean, Jericho is kind of the sentinel. It is the, 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 I mean, they're the front line of attack. They are heavily armored. And Joshua has to lead Israel into the land. He's thinking, if I get this wrong, Israel's going to be slaughtered. You know, sometimes a, a leader or a pastor has to make decisions that sometimes you're thinking, I don't know about this. Because behind me, if I mess this up, Husbands and wives and aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews and grandchildren, they could be killed, slaughtered if I make a wrong move. That's a quite a big burden. If I get across, sometimes we think, oh yeah, we know, we know the end of the story. You and I read the story, we're thinking, oh, that's easy. But if you're there, Joshua, on the ground, and you've gone in, you've sent spies in, you realize how bad the land is. How, I mean, they're eating their own, their paganism. I mean, the Canaanite land was full of all these STDs and sexual diseases and sexual perversions. And they're thinking, if I get Israel in here and they begin to, to blend in with this, I'm going to destroy the nation. I mean, all of this bears on Joshua. We think, just put your foot in it. We kind of think of it as a little Sunday school story. And it is true, but I want you to put yourself in Joshua's place. The ramifications of the decisions he has to make with a nation of people that are not warriors. God has said, I've already driven them out. I've already defeated them. And God says in verse 10, I've already driven, I've already driven them out. I've all, you've already won. You know, a lot of times we can't thank God for the battles because we don't think we're going to win. We don't thank God for the trials we're in because we don't think God's going to do anything. Instead of thinking what God can do, why don't we thank God that the victory's already won? And I'm preaching to myself on this, okay? Now, the Ark of the Covenant has great significance today. We find here in the Ark of the Covenant, there was the Ten Commandments, a golden pot that had manna. There's Aaron's rod that budded. And here is the very thing. On top of the Ark of the Covenant is the two cherubims, the mercy seat above that, which is a tremendous symbol of the presence of God. The mercy of God is above the law of God. And they're carrying this across. That is a symbol of God's presence with them. Now, if you go into battle, can you imagine going into battle and having a whole bunch of preachers in front with no guns? I'm just saying, that's not a pretty, that's not a, from a militaristic standpoint, that's not very good unless you want cannon fodder. Okay? I guess people want to get rid of some preachers, so yeah, let's put them all in front. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But in Exodus chapter 25, Verse 21 and 22. Look with me here about the significance of this Ark of the Covenant. Exodus 25, verse 21. Exodus 25, verses 21 and 22. Thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the Ark. So here's the mercy seat, which is above the law of God. We know that the mercy of God covers the law of God, so we're no longer bound by the law. That picture, right? And in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee, and there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. God's saying, listen, that is a symbol of my presence and communion and relationship with you. Take it with you. First thing they're taking into battle is the very presence of God with them. You know that's a wonderful thing? As a, as a picture for our lives. Take God's presence first and foremost in your life. Take God's presence first and foremost in your daily life. Now the priests were carrying a picture of God's throne of grace and mercy. Hebrews 4.16, as I mentioned this morning, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I think, that, I think they need God's help right now. 
Now, the, the ark was to have an annual sacrifice executed upon the blood, covering the mercy seat as a picture of Christ's blood making atonement for your sins and mine. It's a means of restoration to God. So the thing they're taking into battle is the very mercy seat covering the law about the redemption and the reconciliation that God has. In the presence of God, God saying, listen, I'm with you. You're not doing this alone. These priests are the leaders. And you and I cannot enter. We're priests, as 1 Peter 2 talks about. We cannot enter into the promises and the blessings of God without the word of God as our guide. You can't. I don't care how much you talk about your prayer life. I don't care how good the music is you're listening to and your heart is like, oh, Jesus and I are so close. I don't need to read the Bible. I have the music. No, you need God's presence. You need his word. And so God makes sure to evidence, look with me, chapter 3, verse 10 of Joshua, going back there. So he says, bring the Ark of the Covenant, verse 10, and Joshua said, hereby ye shall know that the, what God? The living God is among you. And that he will without fail drive out from before you. God can't lose. How many of you like going into battle knowing, or go into a game knowing you're going to win? You know you're going to win. I mean, you can come up against the best opponents, the best military might, but you know you've already won. I kind of like, like those odds. And the people's attention, God gives them a standing order. Israel, follow Joshua. What if Joshua doesn't know what he's doing? I mean, Moses couldn't make it in the promised land. Moses messed up. He got angry at the rock and he smote the rock. What if, what, if, what if Joshua fails? What if he makes a bad decision? What if, he, what if we go into the promised land and, and Joshua messes up and, and now my family's a wreck because Joshua's led in the wrong direction? You know, as a leader, you, you take those things. As a pastor, those are things. If I'm preaching wrong, I have the possibility of ruining families, ruining generations, if I'm preaching wrong truth. I better be here. That's why in Hebrews chapter, uh, I think it's Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 17, as it talks about it, whose faith follow. So unless I'm living by faith and following God's word, living in his presence, I'll never cross from the desert to the promised land. I'm not going to follow. I don't know what faith is. I don't know who to follow. And and I'm not saying I don't, you know... (laughs) These people, the Israelites, they're putting their entire family's livelihood, safety, security on the line to walk by faith. Joshua says, here's what God said. And you know what? As believers today, the same God that can tell a leader what to do is the same God that can confirm it in your heart. So you're not blindly following a leader. You're following God, and God will confirm it in your heart. Now, if you're out of the will of God, you may be at odds with a godly leader. Thinking, I don't think so, pastor. You need to check your life. And, and the pastor needs to check his life as well. I'm not saying a pastor. <laughs> Please, don't, there's not a blank check for a pastor. Just because he's a pastor, he's always right. No, but the very truth is, I'm talking, I want you to think about all the stuff that is practically there that the people have to make a decision. They need to obey. They need to stop proceeding forward under their own thinking and rather look to God's word. After Israel in the, in the desert, on the tenth time, God rebuked them for their murmuring and complaining. God took ten times. On the tenth time, God said, you're no longer, I mean, the twelve, men, the 12 spies came back. God said, you're not going to the promised land. But we'll be good. We really want to go. We'll advance. And they try to go to battle and a whole bunch of people will die. They could not move forward. And the truth is, many people today fail this very truth because they're not even willing to come and hear the word of the Lord their God. They don't want God's word. They want the blessings of God, but they don't want want the word of God. They don't want the obedience. And the truth is, it reveals a rebellious heart and an unwillingness to obey God's commands to daily commune with him in his word. You cannot be a good Christian 
a godly Christian, a holy Christian, without daily being in God's word. You cannot. And the potential, now this is, here's a potential point of contention. Israel was ready to leave the desert. They were ready to experience God's power. They were ready to gain the blessings of God in their own land. Israel, back in Egypt, when Moses said, I'm, God has sent me to get you out of Egypt, they're like, woohoo, a deliverer. Then Moses goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh makes things, he says, you know what? We're no longer going to cut the straw for you. You've got to do it on your own. They're like, Moses, you just made life harder for us. We like the Hallmark stories, the happily ever afters. But we don't like all the process to get to that happily ever after. And the fact is, when you step forward in faith by God, guarantee you're going to have opposition. The truth is, that opposition has already lost if you're doing God's will. In verse 12, chapter 3. Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe of man. God says, listen, I want you to build a memorial. Look with me, chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Chapter, Joshua 4, chapter, verse 1. Joshua 4, 1. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe of man, and command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm. The priest would stay in the river while the rest of the people were passing through. Twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you and lead them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. God says, listen, build a monument. You know what? Monuments are wonderful things. They remind us of some uh, aspect of history. God says, I don't want any graven images. Just take some rocks. Put 12 rocks up west of the Jordan River. Because I want you to remember what I've done. If we don't have memorials in our life of what God's done, and we don't continue to reflect on what God has done in the past, it doesn't help us to move forward, realizing that God's power is still evident today. You know, God is establishing memorials all along the way, so the people's hearts are reminded of God's deliverance. Look with me at verse 13, chapter 3. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. Some of these liberal theologians like to say, well, it was just a little stream. A little stream? This is a river bulging at the seams. I mean, it's about right at flood stage. Bulging, I mean, it's no little creek. It's not some little thing. You're just like, woohoo, I'm jumped over it. Woohoo, they were over the Jordan River. No! Foolishness. And they try to say, you know, Israel crossing over the Red Sea. They say it's the Reed Sea. And it, was, it wasn't as deep, you know, and, and, you know, six inches of water, whatever it is. I, mean, I find it amazing that a whole bunch of uh, uh, chariots can drown in six inches of water. But nevertheless, oftentimes that which causes us to not gain the promises, rewards, and blessings of God is simply our lack of faith. God says, put your feet in the water. You've got to get your feet wet. Can you imagine being Israel? Joshua says, we're going to go over the Jordan River and we're going to win. Battle's ours. <laughs> I don't know, Joshua. You think you really can? Hey, uncle, what do you think about this? <laughs> Remember years ago, dad was talking about when he went in and he saw all those big men? I don't know, Lord. The leaders take a step of faith. They put their feet in the water. Okay, Lord, you're with us. Okay. I guess God's with us. You know what God does? God likes to show himself mighty on our behalf. Because you know what? The little things that God answers our prayers, it helps us to take steps of faith so we can see God do great things. Exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. God shows himself mighty in the small things. So when he asks us to do a great step of faith, he says, listen, I've already gone before you. Here's some memorials. 
God's promises are clear. His direction forward has been true. Joshua has led them in the right path. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Look with me here. We're going to look at a couple passages here in Matthew. Matthew chapter 17. Our church might be small now, but I'm excited for the future of what God's going to do. You know, there's, I have to say, there's times of discouragement and times of questioning God's calling. And, and God continually reminds me, he says, listen, I build the church. I said, okay, Lord, I'll take my hands off. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, and Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, Verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Somehow I try to put God in the box of human dimensions, and God just doesn't fit in that box. Chapter 21 of Matthew. I know this is kind of maybe a more simplistic, but I want to encourage you. We still have a God on the throne who have, he's in the throne of eternity. The government may try what they want. They never can go a step further, an inch further, a centimeter further. Uh, uh, you, you whatever metric of standard further than what God allows. In Matthew 21, 21, Jesus answered and said to them, Verily I say unto you, if ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this, which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast in the sea, it shall be done. Faith is the main ingredient lacking in your life and mine. Why? Because I live for the present. I live outside of danger or caution. I live with the fear of man. I live trying to mitigate and lessen all obstacles and dangers of life. That is not faith. In fact, it is a deification, meaning I'm making a God of myself, trying to control the situation rather than rely upon God. Israel would have never entered the promised land. The Israel of the Bible would still be today a whole bunch of has-beens. And we wouldn't be reading about Israel getting out of Egypt. We wouldn't be reading about the Passover and the, the death angel and God getting them out. We wouldn't be reading about the tabernacle and Moses and Mount Sinai. We wouldn't be reading about God and the manna. We wouldn't be reading about God, uh, you know, Israel walking around Jericho for six days. On the seventh day, they walk around seven times and the walls fall down. We wouldn't be reading about that. If it wasn't for an element of, if it wasn't for faith and obedience to God's word. You know, there's sometimes in our lives, though, we look around at the wicked, as I was talking about this morning in Psalm 73, I've been reading in my devotions, and God's really been working on my heart. And I look at the, sometimes you can look at the wicked, we can look at some of these quote-unquote churches, and they seem like they're growing, but what are they compromising to bring the world in, to not change the world, to continue to grow, and yet have no effect upon society for God? I think, Lord, it'd be sure be nice. That's not living by faith. You can draw men unto man's philosophy and grow man's religion, but you can't build God's church man's way. So God stops up these water, the people's faith, verses 14 through 16. Look with me here. Joshua chapter 3. It came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as they that bear the ark were coming to Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest. I mean, this river is literally surging with current. That the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon an heap very far from Adam, that is beside Zaratan, and those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. <laughs> it's kind of like us here in, in North America. If the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific Ocean was to open up, and those from Asia or those from Europe were to have a route where they could drive all their infantry straight over into our country, boom, opens up. 
You know what that would do to us here in Western North America? I think a lot of people would be losing their shorts. We'd think, we're in trouble. We don't have a big ocean between us. We can't use our subs. The water's split. Think about that. In a study of the book of Ruth, Ruth's faith parallels and even surpasses the faith that is seen here. She had pagan beginnings, but she had a proper foundation. Remember Naomi, Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion? All of those men died because they lived for themselves. They affected their wives, widowed their wives. They lived for themselves and God judged them. Because of Elimelech's decision, it put his wife in a state of bitterness because of a bad decision on Elimelech. Now God still used it, and Ruth entered into the history and the lineage of Christ. But Elimelech's decision to leave Bethlehem was not of God. And his bad decision brought his wife to bitterness because God's judgment upon the family. She was bitter. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Call me bitter. It's kind of like one of those individuals who's had a couple bad circumstances in their life, and they're bitter, embittered for the rest of their life. I mean, they're just sour. You don't like being around them. And amidst this bitterness, there's a rose. Ruth, her, her, Naomi's daughter-in-law, she says, I'll follow you and I'll follow your God. She's following the God of a bitter woman. She works hard to glean. By God's providence, he puts her in the very field of the man she'll marry. Ruth's faith would amaze Boaz, so much so that he put his eyes upon her to marry her, and he would go on to be her kinsman redeemer. I mean, she's the very character of a virtuous woman in the Bible. She had a settled decision. I can stay in Moab with the pagan idols or I can go back to Jerusalem, the homeland of the true God. I'm going home. I'm leaving my family. I'm leaving the comforts of all my family and friends. I'm going to be where God is. I'm going to be where Naomi is because she has the answer. Even though she's a crusty old woman, she decides to make the true God her God. She humbled herself and went and gleans in the field as a poor peasant. She could have stayed in Moab and presumably, you know, through the connection she had, made some money, but she said, I'm going to go where God is. She obeyed the wishes of Naomi. Naomi says, go glean. So she went and gleaned. And God protected her. She followed Naomi's advice for being a redeemed as a wife. Go hide yourself, put yourself under the blanket at the feet of Boaz. She does this not to uh, bring shame upon him. She does it in the night. She's a pagan. And if you were to read Ruth chapter 3, you read what she does to protect him, what he does to protect her, and he says, whoa, this woman's different. i got to marry her. I mean, she's a keeper. I don't care what I have to do. He goes to the nearest kinsman, which is the nearest relative, to her husband and, and to, you know, to Ruth's husband. And the, 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 the kinsman said, sure, I'll marry her. Then Boaz says, oh, by the way, she's a Moabite. Gentile, I'm not touching that. I'll ruin my reputation. Boaz says, I'll buy her. I'll pay whatever's necessary. I want her as mine. So he does. It's a very picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, I want you as mine. The nearest kinsman, Satan, he he doesn't really care about you. Jesus says, I want you, and I'll pay the ultimate price. I'll pay my life for you. Faith of Christ. Fully God, fully man. In his heart. He says, I want you. I want to get you across the Jordan River into the eternal promises of God. Now the Jordan River really is a picture of the problems and difficulties of our lives. Trials, temptations, trauma, other things that you may face. And it is only faith in God that will conquer any of these obstacles and stumbling blocks. Faith in God is the only way to conquer fear, addictions, weaknesses, death, obsessions, suffering, 
discouragement. And I'm not saying that lightly. It is God's love and His care for us. He knows every problem. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. And your greatest strengths sometimes are your greatest weaknesses. One of my strengths is I like organization and I like these certain things, but that can be sometimes be the very thing that pushes faith in God aside and I think I'll figure it out. God says, no, you won't. He says, okay, I'll put a few stumbling blocks in your way. You've got a Jordan River and you're not getting across. You know, the very fact that actually brought us to Thompson is God would, I, when I was graduating Bible college, and I thought I, I had applied to this certain way. I applied to this certain program, and my wife and I was excited about it, and I, was a, I thought I was accepted. My pastor put in an application. For some reason, I got denied that path. Had I gone there, I'm not sure I would be here today. God says, no, you don't. I don't want you to go that way. Man, he slammed that door hard, and I wasn't happy. But I'm thankful now. Believing God, trusting God, having faith in God is the only way to become a conqueror in life. Faith in God is a victory that overcomes the world with all its obstacles. The application this evening, if you think about it, what is God asking you to do this evening that you're failing to do because you just fear? You're just fearing. You're just scared. What sort of service does God want you to do for him, but you can't follow him because you can't see the future? Look with me at verse 17, and I'll be done here shortly. In verse 17, And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan, the Lord's sustenance. The greatest part of this passage here is not just the dry ground. They crossed over safely. It's no small little troop of people crossing the Jordan River. This is a massive nation of people. And they cross, as they're crossing over, Jericho could have said, Get our armies! Let's go! We've got to fight them! But the very sheer fact that God controls nature, the very fact that they'd heard about the Red Sea crossing and God's, you know, what they did to Sihon and Og, as I mentioned this morning, they were absolutely terrorized. And God froze them in fear. The same fear that we have many times of, of man, God can instill in the fear of the enemies of God. And we fear man rather than fearing God. We think man can hurt me when in fact God's the very one that keeps man from hurting me. God always fulfills his words. Our frequent lack of faith, our bitterness at the circumstances of life keep us from beholding Canaan land. And as I was reflecting upon these truths, I thought about the time we've been here and there's been some tough times and there's been some hard times and, and there's been some times I thought, Lord, what are you doing? And it was during those times, even recently as I thought about it, God says, you know, you were just murmuring. I was complaining. And I was. I was. I said, I know why, Lord, you haven't blessed. I still have a God in heaven who answers prayer. I still have a God that, that can split the Red Sea. We don't need to look at the Bible and we don't need to look at the history books and see what God has done in the past and think God can't do that today. He says He doesn't change. If God doesn't change, and He still requires faith for them, He still requires faith for you, the same God that can part the Red Sea, the same God that can send revivals, is the same God that can do something amazing here in the north that is unseen simply by faith in God. The priests stand in the midst of the Jordan as the people pass over. The sustenance and provision is that God's word is the center of our lives. What do they have? They had the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence in the very center as a protection, and those walls of water stood up. There will never be a marriage to one's kinsman redeemer for Ruth if she didn't live by faith. There will never be the sweet rewards of the Lord. Your faithlessness and rebellion, my faithlessness and rebellion to the 
to uh, the Word of God prevents me from the very gifts and promises of God. In conclusion, why don't we just commit to making God's Word and His Holy Spirit and abiding with Him the center of our life rather than an accessory or peripheral item of life? He's not just an add-on. Why don't we put aside the bitterness of the wilderness of life? You know those hard times of life, and you're thinking, where are you, God? Rather than being angry at God, why don't I put on faith of Joshua and enter into the Canaan land? I can know the rest of God. And I'm not talking the rest of God as in all of him. I'm talking the rest in God, where I can have rest in my soul. Many Christians live a defeated, depressed life because they simply don't make the first step of faith to put their feet in the water. Because they think, well, what's on the other side of that water? They fail to get out of the desert of life. They fail to get into God's promises because they fail to follow. Look with me at Isaiah 43, our last passage of Scripture this evening. I have to tell you, as I'm preaching this, it's just like bubbling up inside of me. I'm just like, man, you want to go back to costly, you're just like, woo, God is good. You know, you think about the goodness of God and, and then, you know, but then you step out the doors and God's like, okay, here's a challenge. And you're thinking, ah, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's easy to talk about it, but the whole hard part is when that, I mean, that trial's in your face and you're like, ah, there's a Jordan River, huh? there's Jericho, huh? you know, what do I do, Lord? <laughs> We can talk about it all day long. It can be up here. As Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of the issues of life. It's, it's here. And this heart starts to go, you know, and you're like, fear. And you've got to take that fear. And you've got to take that fear to the Lord and live in faith. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will abandon thee. No, he says, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, you know that really, really hard time of life? and You're at the lowest of lows. Thou shalt not be burned. You're not going to be consumed. It's not going to overtake you. You're not going to be ruined. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Jehovah thy God, the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. And it goes on here. The Jordan River. A liquid faith. That Jordan River is a, kind of a picture of the impossible. And I'm not talking about the impossible like God, you can do the impossible. Give me a million dollars because I'd really like it and I can really use it. I'm not talking about that kind of impossible. I'm talking about the impossible. What can God do with someone fully yielded to him? Just make God's word the center of your life. Stop fighting God. Stop trying to bargain with God. Why don't you just ask him what he wants? Let him lead you and guide you. Put aside your pride and march on for Christ. Put your foot into the waters of the Jordan. Last quote. In 1870, a blunder was made by a bishop while staying at a small Bible college and staying at the home of the president. He expressed the firm conviction that the Bible predicted that nothing new could be invented. The president disagreed and said, I believe in 50 years men will be able to fly just like birds. The bishop was shocked. He rebuked the president, saying, Flight is only for the angels. I beg you not to repeat your suggestion, lest you be guilty of blasphemy. 
What is ironic about the story is the visiting bishop was Milton Wright, the father of Orville and Wilbur Wright, who made their first flight in an air machine 30 years later near Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Their machine is the forerunner of many planes in our skies today. In spite of their father's skepticism, they went on to make great discoveries. May we do too, may we too do great things for the Lord in spite of the obstacles we might face along the way. I don't know what God's going to do here in this church. But I do know God wants me to step by faith. He wants you to live by faith. That's all we want. That's all we have to do. Every day, by faith. I don't need to know what's a year down the road. I just need to know what's for tomorrow. Now, we do have a, we're looking to have a tent meeting this summer and looking to do great things there. But nothing will happen in that if I'm not living by faith today. Nothing will happen there if I'm not praying today for God to do the work. It's not man, it's God. God has to do something. A liquid faith. Who's willing to put their foot in the water? Who's willing to take, as I would say from human perspective, the gamble? It's no gamble with God. He said the victory's already secured. But who's willing to say, you know what? God says it, I'll follow. That's it. Who's willing to put your foot in the water? So we come to the time of invitation. Number one, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? You've got to take a faith step and put your faith in Jesus Christ exclusively for your eternity. If it's in Jesus plus, or Jesus and, Jesus and baptism, Jesus and good works, Jesus and speaking in tongues, Jesus and your baptism as an infant, whatever it is, if it's Jesus and, or Jesus but, it's not anything. But if it's Jesus only, Faith in his death, burial, and resurrection, you can know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Trusting that you're a sinner, you deserve hell. Simple faith, you ask him to forgive you. And Christian, put your foot in the water, step by faith. Follow the lead God has. When you live by faith, you're going to see God do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. It's time for us to stop thinking of our own philosophies and start living by putting our foot in the water. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, we come to a time of silent invitation and encourage you talk with God. Who's willing to put your foot in the water? Who's willing to get your feet wet and enter into the promises of God? Sure, there's battles ahead, but God says the battle's mine. I've already defeated it. Stop trying to think about all the solutions and start thinking what God wants. Take the step of faith.